Good morning. Oh, look at that. Wow. Other times I've been asked to speak here, um, I was always given very specific instructions on what I need to do, where I need to be, because we don't want to have, you know, these delays in our, in our live feed on YouTube, right? So during the worship time, I realized that I was sitting on the wrong side of the church. I'm like, oh no, what am I going to do? I don't want to walk in front of people while they're doing the announcement. So I kind of hightailed it out the back, and I was thinking, what's Sarah and Josh going to think? Terry's chickening out. What are we going to do this morning? Still here. So a little while back, Josh asked me to prepare a message for this morning that would help prepare us for the Easter season. Easter. It seems a little early. But I looked this up online, and it looks like the season of Lent is starting this week. So it's not too early, I don't think. And next week, Josh is going to be starting a new sermon series on the atonement. So I was thinking, what can I do to help prepare us for this Easter event and this upcoming series that Josh is going to be starting? And I remembered a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples that's in the Gospel of John, where Jesus was starting to tell them how he was going to be betrayed and that he would soon be leaving them. He was basically predicting the Easter events. And it's in this passage, this conversation, where Jesus, well, Jesus' disciples started to ask him some very blunt, honest, and heartfelt questions. Questions that previously, I don't think they had the guts to ask Jesus. And surprisingly, Jesus responds very plainly and very literally. No parables this time. No metaphors. Just passionate and blunt conversation. And it's these responses that Jesus gave us that form our big idea this morning, our thesis, if you want to call it that. So I'm going to tell you up front what this is all about this morning. And you're going to, when you see it, you're, when I say it, you're going to think that, of how simple this is, maybe even, maybe even kind of childish, right? But maybe that's a good thing. So this is our big idea this morning. The most important thing we can do in life is get close to Jesus. Simple. Nothing complicated. Not necessarily easy, though. Because Jesus isn't somebody that we can just sit down with and have a conversation. He's not someone who's going to pat us on the back when we do a good job or give us an encouraging hug when we hit really hard times. We've got to settle for other ways, at least for the time being. Today, we, we follow him. It's something that our church emphasizes a lot. It's in our mission statement, following Jesus. And that means doing what he told us, learning from his teachings, and asking questions. Good students, good disciples, ask lots of questions. And the message today is based on a passage about questions. And it's a passage that I think, if you've grown up in the church, you're going to be very, very familiar with. Sometimes when we get so familiar with these things, I think we forget or we miss how significant they are. 
So I'm going to try to lean in on the significance this morning. So the passage we're going to look at here, it's, it, it's a conversation right in the middle of a larger conversation. There's a lot happening here, so I encourage you maybe later today to read the whole thing for yourself, maybe before the Super Bowl. I hear that there's some big thing going on this afternoon. So I'm going to step through this and offer some commentary along the way. We're reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, starting at verse 33. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Let's pause just for a second here. Clearly, Peter isn't really paying attention to what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is talking about loving one another, but Peter's stuck on something that he said before. He's like, wait a second, Jesus, where are you going? So Jesus replies, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. The disciples are probably confused at this statement. Jesus was talking about being betrayed, about possibly being killed, was that what was going to happen now? And knowing this, Peter makes, says a question, a statement here that's really, really bold. Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And unfortunately, it's at this point that Jesus tells Peter that soon he would be disowning him three times, which is exactly what happens a little later in the story. Now, the disciples don't know what's going to happen next here. If Jesus leaves, if he dies, what's going to happen to them? What will they do without him? And maybe at the forefront of their minds, what if the same thing happens to us? And I think Jesus knew what they were thinking. This is how Jesus responded. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Did you catch that last phrase that Jesus said? I mean, that was... Some great stuff that Jesus said, but that last phrase, do you see how the disciples might have been frustrated about that? They're confused. They're worried. Jesus is talking about leaving, about dying. They don't understand where he's going. And yet he makes the statement, you know the way to the place where I am going. They don't know what he's talking about. Peter was gutsy before. Now it's Thomas's turn. This is what Thomas said. Now, let's remember before we hear what Thomas has to say, he's frustrated, he's confused. What he's about to say, he's not saying lightly. And he's probably not saying it politely. He's passionate. Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? 
I mean, we've got a feel for Thomas here. If he doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about, how on earth could he know how to get there? And Jesus responds with what's an absolute game changer for the way the disciples understood who he was and the way we today need to understand who he is as well. To the question, we don't know where you are going, how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way. Let's pause just for a second to let that sink in. The simplicity of it, and yet at the same time, the depth of it. Jesus is saying, I am the way. Let's make sure that we understand this correctly. Jesus is not saying, I will show you the way, or I'll lead you to the way, or even I'll help you get there. He's saying, I am the way. Jesus is the journey itself. And he continues, I am the way and the truth. Again, Jesus is not saying here, I'll tell you the truth or I'll lead you to the truth. He's saying, I am the truth. So, following Jesus is somehow about being in the truth, but I think we need to be careful when we think that way because he's not saying that it's about me or about us being right or correct. He's not saying it's about me or us understanding everything because we don't need to. It's because he does. It's because Jesus is. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. He continues again, I am the way and the truth, and the life. Again, let's not diminish what Jesus is saying here. He's not talking about heaven. He's not talking about an afterlife of any kind. He's saying that he actually is life itself. Get close to him. Know him. Follow him. If you're with him, you are with life itself. Let's continue. Jesus answers Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Did you catch that last phrase? It's another one of those statements that Jesus just made that's frustrating. Probably really frustrated the disciples. Before Jesus said that we know him, even though we, that, that we know the way, even though we clearly didn't, but then clarified that he was the way itself. Now he's saying that we know God and have seen God. I don't know about you, but if I've seen God, I think I would know that. So Philip this time responds. I think Philip's a little calmer than Peter and Thomas. He says this a lot nicer, I think. He says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And then Jesus makes one of these great statements again that probably blew the minds of the disciples. They weren't expecting this. I wonder if we really understand how significant this is. Jesus answered, don't you know me, 
Philip. Philip's probably thinking, what? I I thought we were talking about God. Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus is saying, when you look at him, you look at God. When you know him, you know God. So let me try to summarize here what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus is the way. Not religion. Not any religion. In fact, if you really think about it, not even Christianity. Yes, of course, Christianity may, should point to Jesus. But folks, if if the Pharisees of Jesus' time, who were the experts in God's religion, if they missed Jesus, it's possible for us, even with the Christian religion, to miss him too. It's Jesus that is the way. Jesus is the truth. Not our opinions, not what makes sense to us, And again, if you really think about it, not even the Bible. Yes, of course, the Bible points to Jesus. But again, if the Pharisees of Jesus' time memorized all of the scriptures, because that's exactly what they did, and if they missed Jesus, then even with the Bible, we too can miss Jesus. Jesus is the truth. The good news here is that if he's the truth, that means... We don't need to understand it all, and we don't need to understand it all correctly. That's good news for us. Jesus is the life. Our goal is not heaven. Don't get me wrong. We can look forward to that. But heaven is not our destination. It's Jesus. Jesus is the life. He's the journey, the true reality, and the destination. All right, so now that we might be a little overwhelmed with all this Jesus theory stuff, which makes sense, it's what some theologians call Christology, what can we do with all this on a very practical level? What I have this morning is what I think is a common sense, super simple answer. Again, so simple that I think it's kind of childish, which I think is okay. And it brings us back to our big idea, our thesis. If Jesus is the way, and if he's the truth, and if he's the life, then if we get close to Jesus, we can be confident that we're on the right track, even if we're not sure where we're going. And if Jesus is the truth, then we can be confident that we're in the truth even if we don't understand it all. And if Jesus is the life, if we're close to Jesus, we can be confident that we're living and will live, even if our physical health is poor, or our mental health, or even if we don't have that many days left. So then the question becomes, this morning it's all about questions, the question is how do we get close to Jesus? And I'm sure that many of us can think of many different ways of doing this. But I'm going to bring up this morning, talk about four important ways that we can do this this morning. And I know there's more, 
but I'll bet you that these four are in the top five at least. And I'm going to do something a little strange this morning. I'm going to deliver these in order of importance because I'm going to try to make a point because I used to think of this differently. And I went on a little bit of a journey and realized something that I didn't understand before. So I'm going to try to take you on that journey. And I think that at first, some of you are going to disagree with me. So I'm going to try to convince you. I hope that's okay. Now, before I go to the top item, I'm going to tell you a little story. It happened to, uh, just late last year, not that many weeks ago, I was leading a study in the small group in the house church uh, that I attend. And this study that I was leading, we were talking something about how to better understand and follow the teachings of Jesus. And I had planned for this. And I had planned to try to lead the discussion in a particular way. I wanted to lead that discussion to the point where, where the group was thinking, you know what, we don't read our Bibles enough. You know, we don't pay enough attention to its message, especially the teachings of Jesus. To me, this is common sense. If you want to know Jesus, read Jesus. So I threw the question out to the group. How do we better understand and follow the teachings of Jesus? I had the plan in place. I knew where this was going to go. But something happened. Something happened that often happens in my group, where my group teaches themselves something far better and more important than what I had intended to teach them. And little secret, this happens far more often than they know. <laughs> it does. The first person to contribute to the discussion, again, the discussion about how do we better follow and understand the teachings of Jesus, first person said something like this, I've always appreciated the way Anabaptists, and just in case you don't know, Anabaptism is the uh, Christian... Um, uh, lost my words here. It's the Christian kind of community that our church comes out of. I've always appreciated the way Anabaptists emphasize community in their search for truth and understanding. My house church plan for the night, gone. Community. The number one way we can learn, understand, get close and follow Jesus. Now, if you're anything like me this morning, you might be thinking, huh? Community. Like, I get it. That's important. But what about, like you were saying, reading the Bible? What about prayer? What about spiritual disciplines? Like, aren't these the ways that we can really get close to Jesus? Aren't they maybe more important? And I resonate with that because I personally, I'm, I'm an introvert. Introvert. Some of you might relate to that. And I like to do this kind of stuff on my own. You know, give me place on my own, and I'll learn about Jesus all by myself. Thank you very much. But when I read Jesus and I look at the teachings in the New Testament, I find myself uncomfortably coming to the conclusion that community takes top spot in this. The primary strategy of Jesus in his ministry was to build a community, a gathering the church, not a building. Here's something else that convinced me. A few questions. Did Jesus specifically say that when we read our Bibles, he'd be close to us, he'd be with us? Not really. In fact, throughout most of church history, people didn't have a Bible to read personally. Did Jesus specifically say 
that when we pray, he would be with us. He didn't say that specifically. He did tell us that his father would hear us. Did Jesus specifically say that when two or more people gather in his name, that there he would be with them? A couple nods. That one's familiar, isn't it? He did. I wonder if we really understand the implications of this. When we gather together, Jesus is with us. Now, he's not saying that he's not with us individually, but he is saying that when we're together, he's with us in some kind of special and extraordinary way. So what's community? Is Sunday morning church service community? Absolutely. This is part of it. It's part of it. When we worship together, definitely community is happening. What we're doing right now, not sure how much community this is. I mean, I'm talking, you're listening. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. I don't know how community this is. What happens before church, there's some community that happens. After church, when we're talking in the foyer, there's definitely community that happens there. It's one reason why we serve coffee here, to encourage community. Coffee brings us closer to Jesus. (laughs) Who would have known, right? (laughs) Coffee drinkers rejoice. I'm kind of kidding. How else do we take this community thing seriously? I've heard more than one pastor in this church say over the years that real church happens in small groups. Folks, if we don't frequently surround ourselves with other believers, we're actually missing out on the presence of Jesus. So I passionately encourage you to make this a priority. And one way you can do that is by joining a house church. We offer that here. Maybe if you're a good leader, you might want to lead a house church, start one. My understanding is that we need some good house church leaders here too. And remember, you don't need to know it all. Jesus is the truth. All we need to do is provide the gathering, and Jesus promises to show up. All right, that was number one. Let's go to number two. This one's going to feel a little old-fashioned, I think, but old-fashioned doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong. Number two is obeying the commands of Jesus. Let me clarify here because some people might misunderstand something. I'm not talking about a faith versus work scenario here, okay? I'm not talking about something that we have to do to gain salvation because there's nothing we can do for that. All I'm talking about this morning is how we get close to Jesus, keeping it simple. So what does this mean? What are these commands of Jesus? Let me first clarify why this is number two here. In the context of the passage that we're looking at, just adjacent to it, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. So following Jesus, being close to Jesus, his presence is directly related to obeying his commands. So then the question, because it's all about questions this morning, the question is, what are his commands? I mean, we've got the Old Testament, lots of rules. You know, we've got the Ten Commandments there. But commands from Jesus? He told us lots of parables. He gave us lots of advice, but rules, commands? Where's that? Wait a second. Remember the passage we read this morning? Jesus actually calls out a command for us there. 
This is what he said. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. If you're like me, you might have a tendency to feel that the most important relationship that you have is between you and God. And in a lot of ways that makes sense, but Jesus kind of says something else here. He connects the line between us and God with us and those around us. Our love for others makes us closer to Jesus. Our love for others brings us to the presence of Jesus. All right, number three. And here's where my journey has changed. I would have put number three at the top spot. Number three is reading the Bible. Some of you might be thinking this should be in the top spot too. And, and I get that. Like our Bible, that, that's the authority about how to follow Jesus, how to get close to Jesus. And I get this. I align with that kind of thinking. Because the Bible is the most tangible thing we have to understand God. But I think this is number three. Definitely still in the top four. Why in the top three? Why, why number three? So I think that the church is a place where Jesus needs to be at the center, not the Bible. The church is a place where the community and the people are more important than something that's been written down, no matter how inspired and how important it is. Now, you might be thinking I'm picking on the Bible a little bit this morning, but I'm not critical of the Bible. I'm being critical of what we do with it. Jesus set an example when he was criticized for breaking some Sabbath rules in the Bible. He made the comment, the Sabbath was made for the people, not the people for the Sabbath. Now, the difference here seems very subtle, and it is, but there is a difference, and it's important. Why is it important? Because the church in the past, and I'd even say today, we often get this wrong. Here's a worst-case scenario from the past. A few hundred years ago, people were killed for translating the Bible into a language that the people could read. That happened in the church. Interestingly enough, the church was using a Bible translation themselves. It was just a translation that the people no longer understood because it was so old. And we might think today, how could that happen? I mean, how ignorant were they? Something like that would never happen today. But let's fast forward to the future. Another example, not nearly as bad as that one, don't get me wrong. There's churches today that when you want to join, they make you sign a document that promises to believe everything that the Bible says. So if you've got a problem with a six-day creation, you're out. So I ask the question, is that what Jesus wants? Why does this kind of thing happen? There's a few different reasons, but here's one example of the root of this, I think, so that we understand it a little bit. It brings us back to the time of the Reformation, where the Protestants split from the church because the church was abusing its power. It was the Bible that provided the authority to point out those abuses. 
So the Protestants came up with this slogan, and if you've studied any theology, you might be familiar with this, sola scriptura. It means scripture alone. They decided that the Bible was their only authority, and they did have good reason behind this. They wanted to prevent these abuses from ever happening again. But the reality is that Jesus did not teach sola scriptura. Now, don't get me wrong, Jesus certainly, certainly taught, set the example of respect and authority of the Scripture. But he did not tell us, he did not teach that the Bible would lead us to all truth. He taught that the Spirit of God would lead us to all truth. Now, I'm sure that the Holy Spirit uses the Bible. And I'm sure that the Holy Spirit also leads us to obey the teachings of Jesus, which is number two on our list. And I'm also sure that the Holy Spirit leads us to truth through community, which is number one on our list. And I think we need to remember also, it's important that we remember that when we're speaking about being led to the truth, we're actually talking about being led to Jesus himself. Jesus is the truth. So, a little quick note about Bible reading. A little bit of advice, if I may. I know this is hard. It's another world. It's another culture. It's another time. It's hard to understand for all of us. And as someone who has studied the Bible a lot, I'll tell you, the more you read it, the more questions you have. So it's tough. So here's some advice, a little story. A couple decades ago, this is really going to age me, I know it is. A couple decades ago, I decided that it was time to get in shape. Yes, a couple decades ago. Wow, okay. So what did I do? I decided to take up jogging. Do we have any joggers here this morning? Any joggers? I thought I'd get some hands. I got, I got one hand, only one hand. Oh, I got two. I got two hands. Cool, okay. I think Josh is a jogger. Um, jogging's tough. So I took up jogging, and that lasted a whole whopping... Two weeks. Actually, no, I don't think it was longer. I think I'm exaggerating. I think it was less. My wife is really helping me out here. She's saying it was longer. I, don't, I think it was less time. I gave it up. It was tough. So good for you if you're a jogger this morning. A few years later, still a long time ago, I decided to get in shape again. So what did I do this time? I decided to take up walking. That's what I did. My wife and I would go for lots of walks. We'd go for hikes in the forest. We'd go for long strolls. And that lasted. We're actually still doing it today. So what am I trying to say today? The Bible's tough. I mean, if you can start at the beginning and go through the rules, the genealogies, and the prophets, and all this stuff, if that works for you, if you can jog, go for it, right? Good for you. But for probably most of the rest of us, maybe what we need to do Let's go for a walk. Maybe try reading one of the Gospels. John's my favorite. John's my favorite because it's full of imagery and metaphor, and I love that stuff. You might prefer Luke. He's more of a historian. Matthew's got the amazing Sermon on the Mount, probably the best piece of literature in the whole Bible. But he might get tough because Matthew expects you to really know your Old Testament. All right, let's go to number four. Last one on the list, 
And this one should not be the last on any list. I recognize that, but it's in the top four. So forgive me for putting this last prayer. I'm not an expert here, and to be transparent, I'm not good at this one. But I'm confident that when we talk to Jesus, that's a way to get close to him. And sometimes it's not about talking at all. Sometimes it's just about a quiet place where we focus on him. It sounds a little bit like meditation, but that would be number five, and I promised just four. So we'll go on there. In fact, our last sermon series that Josh did was based, was about the Lord's Prayer. So we've already covered that in quite detail lately. So let me wrap up this morning with a summary of what we've looked at this morning. The passage we read, it's saying that it's all about Jesus. He's the journey, he's the meaning, and he is the destination. When we come to him, we come to God. When we know him, we know God. Because he lives, we too will live. Our goal is him, it's Jesus. And the best way to be close to him, to follow him, it's through community. Also, through obeying his teachings, especially loving one another and reading our Bibles and struggling with it and wrestling with it sometimes. And let's not just do that as individuals. Let's do that also in community. And then also through prayer which is something we can also do in community. So why don't we do that right now in closing? Please pray with me. Thank you, Jesus, that, uh, that you are the way, our journey. That you're the truth, even when we don't understand, or even when we don't have it right. And to be honest, that probably happens more than we're willing to admit probably more often than we even realize. Thank you that you are the life, our destination, our goal. God, I pray that your spirit would be with us in this community of ours, that we'll notice, that we'll feel and understand your presence. God, I pray that this Easter we will remember you, that we'll grow closer to you, both as individuals and also as a community. Amen.